message. Today we're jumping into Acts chapter 2. If you've not been here with us, we're doing a series in the book of Acts. And so we're we're crawling. It's great. We're getting to hear what, what God started with the beginning of this, um, this new work, the, the church, uh, the day of Pentecost and all that. So here's what, what we know is that, and here's where we're at. So Jesus said when he was getting ready to leave, he said, but you will receive power when the, from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus promised them. Before he left, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses here in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. So there were 120 of these people. And if you go back, you can read the first couple chapters of Acts. There are 120 of them that, that are waiting for this promise. They're waiting, and we already have seen this. They were devoted to prayer. Uh, so the, book, the month of January, we spent, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, we spent like th- three nights in here praying together. And you see some of the fruit of that up here on the wall, just prayer requests. And um, if you missed it, we're going to be doing some prayer nights throughout the year. So just pay attention. It's just an opportunity for us to get together and pray. Uh, prayer, prairie, pray. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, they were devoted to prayer. They're waiting. They're waiting. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. So they're waiting on the day of Pentecost. And the word Pentecost just means 50. So the 50th day after the Passover, they're waiting. And this thing that Jesus promised happens. And we, we call it Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and there's special effects. We've got the sound of rushing wind. We've got divided tongues of fire. We have them speaking in other languages. We have uh, on that day, there were Jews from all over that region that had come. They didn't live in Jerusalem. They were there for the Feast of Weeks. It's part of the Pentecost uh, celebration. They're there to celebrate um, the, the, the first fruits of the wheat harvest and to give God praise. It's one of the times a year that the Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So they're there and they're hearing these people for the first time ever speaking in different tongues and they're understanding as these folks are describing to them the works of God. They're struck by that. Wouldn't that be kind of amazing? Like, have you ever been to a country where nobody speaks your language? Okay, you walk in, and all of a sudden you hear it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like breathing. It's like, whoa, okay, I understand what they're saying. And it cuts through all kinds of noise. It's all of a sudden you can just hear, that person's talking to me. And they hear it in their language. They hear the words. And they may have spoken Hebrew, but they're hearing it in their own native language. On that day, after that moment, everybody's coming around, right? They've just heard mighty rushing wind, okay? And they're, and they're hearing this kind of cacophony of noise. Some people thought that, the, that they were drunk, if you remember. I'm not just making that up. The word is actually in there. They thought they were drunk, but no, it's 9 a.m. They're not. They're, power, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up and he gives this sermon. We talked about this last week. And at the end of the sermon, greatest sermon ever, 3,000 people get saved, Right? So there's all these people. There's thousands of people gathered together in the temple to come and worship. And they're hearing this, the good news of what Jesus has done. And the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated. And they go from 120 to 3,120, right? It says 3,000 were added to their number. And I know what, you, what you're thinking, right? And well, maybe you're not. But this is what you should think. What do you do with 3,120 people, right? If you're one of these 120 and you've been waiting for power and all of a sudden this power comes and it's way more amazing than you could have possibly imagined, they could not have foreseen what was going to happen on that day. And now all of a sudden, the 120 that have been meeting in this room, they've been waiting, now they're at the temple, now their numbers have just exploded, And now there's 3,000 additional people. And as a church leader, you're going, that's amazing. Praise God. But then you're going, what do we do? (laughs) Right? There's this all of a sudden, God, you just blew this thing up. And they don't have uh, church growth books. (laughs) They don't have a tradition to go off of. They got nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And they're going, okay, what's next? And so today we're going to get into this chapter 
And this is what they did. It's very simple. It's very, it, it's organic. That's a word that we use a lot nowadays. Okay, it's natural. This is just an outflowing. 120 to 3,000. You ever think about, the, think about it in those terms? Like, what would you do if you were one of the apostles? You got to trust God. The fact that the early church didn't completely fail or fall apart is evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? These guys, they've, they've witnessed Jesus, and they've walked around with them, but they haven't led anything. And now they have all of these people looking to them. Imagine that. These guys were not educated. They were fishermen, and they were tradespeople. Some of them might have had some formal education, but now they're in leadership, and they've got people looking at them. The fact that it didn't fall apart is purely on the fact that the Holy Spirit was involved. These weren't seasoned ministers. These are newbies, <laughs> or noobs, as Taylor says. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're thrust into leadership. And so they, do only, they just do what they can do, and they trust God. Most of them had never led in their life. They didn't have books to go and read on the topic. Right? Today we have books. They didn't even have a written account of everything that Jesus said. They were there, which is significant, right? They're there. They, they heard what Jesus said. They saw what he did. They witnessed his body broken and his death, and they saw him rise from the grave. That's significant, don't you think? But they didn't have something to lean on other than the power of the Holy Spirit. And God did something incredible so here we are. This is where we're jumping in today. There's, they're there. Now Peter's just preached. 3,000 people got saved. They've joined the movement. And so what do you do? Try not to panic. <laughs> this is what it says, Acts 2, 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is where our sermon title, our sermon series title comes from. That this word devoted. What do you think of when you think of devotion? I think of today, I think of fans, right? Any Niners fans in here? Any Chiefs fans? Pretty much pretty much everybody else now. <laughs> okay, like if you've ever been to a professional sporting event or any kind of sporting event, you see the, the people that are just decked out. It's crazy. They spend, if you wanted to get a Super Bowl ticket, I think you're, you're looking at about three grand. 10,000. Probably, they, 10 grand, okay? Do you think that takes a little devotion? <laughs> sell a kidney or <laughs> second mortgage or something like that. <laughs> so I think of sports fans. I think of what is it that, that you're devoted to in your life? According to this simpleness, they're in awe of what God has done and they're devoted. And this is what they're devoted to. I list four things. The first thing is they're, they're devoted to the apostles' teachings. The apostles, this is a group of people who spent, from the moment that Jesus stepped onto the scene to, to start his earthly ministry to the moment that he left, this group of people was there. It qualified them for a certain amount of uh, respect and listening, okay? They had heard it. They had heard what Jesus said. They would witnessed what he'd done. They'd even participated a little bit with what Jesus had done. They were then empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in reality, what it says is they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are not teaching whatever they want. They're teaching what Jesus taught. So in order to be an apostle, what made them so special? This group of people, they had been eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and teaching and his resurrection, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. It sets them apart from any other group of people. Okay? Okay. That's what it took to become an apostle. And you, you don't believe me, you can look at 
chapter 1, when, when they're trying to fill the shoes of Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, because according to the scripture, his place would be taken. So they are looking to fill this role of apostle. And it says this, it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Okay, That's what set this group of people apart. That's why all the believers are looking to them because they had heard Jesus' words and seen his teachings and seen his miracles and witnessed his death, burial, and resurrection. They were there at the Last Supper. Okay. That's why Matthias is chosen. That's what makes an apostle. Okay, there's one example of, of somebody who wasn't there for all of that. We're going to get to that. That's Paul. Of course, his story is a little unique too. But this group had a unique place in church history because of their calling that Jesus gave them. It's pretty incredible when I think about it that Jesus called these 12 guys plus Matthias because it was so important that these teachings and the works be passed on that he didn't just pick one apprentice. Can you imagine that? The pressure on that one person to try and remember everything Jesus said. He picked 12 and then more that witnessed it. He picked these 12 to intentionally pour into that every day that he walked with them, it was on purpose, knowing he was going to be leaving and knowing that he was going to leave these teachings and these things in their hands to pass on to the next generation and the next and the next. There was a responsibility that came with it. And when this group of people died, that calling, that, that big Apostle calling is no longer there. When we, call, when we talk about apostles now, we're talking about that group of people. Okay, If anybody takes that title apostle, they're really saying they have, an, they have the gift of apostle, which the gift is still in existence. But that, that special, unique place of, of somebody who, who can write scripture, who can teach us what Jesus said and did, it really falls to this group of men. Because of that unique calling. Okay, the church, it begins with this group of people witnessing Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they're devoted to these teachings. Because the 3,000 that just got saved, they might have heard some, they may have been some of the crowd that was at the feeding of the 5,000. They may have been some of the crowd that had witnessed Jesus' teachings. But they're looking to hear more. They're looking to understand deeper. And so they're looking to the apostles and they're devoted to their teachings. I mean, imagine this time period, though. Wouldn't it have been so cool if you had any questions about your faith and, and walk with Jesus? You could just go and find Matthew or Peter or James or John and just ask them a question. That's pretty cool. And so they had this kind of special time period and they're passing on as much information as they can. And they're, they're wanting to see it grow. And, and, and the, those folks that have just witnessed this miracle of God, they're in awe and they are desperate to know more. So they're devoted. And then it says that they were also devoted, devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. See, there's a, there's a fellowship that only comes from shared experiences. This group of people had a shared experience. They had witnessed the power of God. They knew who Jesus was and his resurrection power. It drew them together. Have you, do you have fellowship with people because of your shared experiences? Sometimes it's stronger than your family because this group of people understood each other. They knew where they were coming from and where they were going. So they had a fellowship. I think of that in so many ways. That gift that fellowship is to us as we walk through things and then you have other people who have that shared experience to walk with you. It's not just a, a Christian faith principle. Anything in life. It's like I'm, now we have the, uh, the uh, Facebook, right? You can join a support group. We just, I just joined a, a cleft lip and palate support group. And every day I get... I get inundated with encouragement from people who've raised little ones with that issue. It's cool to be reminded that I'm not the only one who's going through this. And so for this group of people, they have a very specific calling to this fellowship. 
There were a lot of other things that they had experienced, but this one thing kind of trumped everything else. As they are now in this community, and they are desperate for fellowship, as they learn to follow Jesus deeper. And this is what God wants for us. This kind of fellowship, this kind of fellowship can only happen when we get our identity right. This kind of fellowship can only happen when we understand our purpose. This kind of fellowship can only happen when we are all on the same mission. And this kind of fellowship can only happen in Jesus' family. It's the only place that this kind of fellowship that they're talking about works. Okay, it's not communism. It's Jesus' family. It speaks of something that was so uniting that they didn't think of their stuff as their stuff anymore. It's unique. And this is what we're called to. We need this kind of fellowship. But there's a couple things we have to get. We have to understand our identity. We have to live out of that identity. We have to understand our purpose. As we're in this book of Acts, you've heard it from the very beginning. This power came with a purpose. Purpose to be witnesses. Not purposes just to make our lives better. Not purposes so that we'd feel good all the time. Purpose to be a witness of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the power that he has to save and the life that he's called us to and the hope of eternal life. That's what we're called to. That is your purpose. (laughs) If we don't live out of that purpose and that identity, then we're telling a different story, even if we call ourselves Christians. We have to be on the same mission. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be doing exactly the same things, but it's the same mission. Wherever you're at, as a believer in Jesus, you carry with you that purpose, that mission. In your workplace, in your family. This is a part of being in the family of God. And that's what we're called to. And we, we, we make an attempt to create fellowship. Because that's the culture that we live in today where we, we have to try really hard to create fellowship. So we do things called growth groups. And you hear us talk about it all the time. There's nothing significant about a growth group. It's our way of trying to encourage everyone to be in community where you can have fellowship. Okay? It's not just so you're busy. <laughs> it's not because we want you to take up another night of your week. It's because we know, because we see it in Scripture and we've seen it play out a hundred times, we need fellowship with other believers. We have to. We cannot do this life on our own, and we were never meant to. But for this group of people, this was all, this was everything for them. They just had their entire identity and life transformed in one day. And so they're together. And so they're devoted to the fellowship. You know that it probably wasn't all Bible reading and prayer. There was probably some fun, right? Anybody ever, like, probably not live in a commune, right? But, like, the closest thing I can think of is the dorms. I went to a Christian school, so the dorm life was really fun because you always had brothers around. So I think of this group of people as they're trying to live life together it's there's fun involved as they get to know one another and share life together there's a fellowship aspect to that it's not just about theology it's much more than that it's sharing my heart and sharing my life and sharing laughter and fun so they had fellowship and there's nothing wrong with christians getting together to have a good time it's a good thing It's a good thing to share that fellowship too. They were devoted also to the breaking bread, okay? That terminology, to the breaking of bread, what does that mean? Well, first of all, they're eating, (laughs) okay? Because that would have been probably a pretty significant portion of their time was prepping meals and getting food to 3,120 people, (laughs) Did you ever think about that? Who's cooking? 
<laughs> like, who's doing that? All of a sudden, you have, you're having these meetings and you're having people over all the time. I mean, that, that right there, some of you who are hostesses and hosts, you're just going, uh. <laughs> or those of you who aren't wired that way, <laughs> like me, you're going, oh, I can, I can do the teaching and, and the fellowship and fun part as long as somebody else takes care of the food. So they're breaking bread. But it's more significant than that for this group of people. Because this breaking of bread is a symbol. It's a representation of, of what Jesus had done for them. That his body, he said it. He said, my body is like this bread broken for you. Eat it and remember me. So when they gathered together, every single time they broke bread, it was a reminder. It's one of the most brilliant things Jesus could have ever done. Not that he needs me to tell him that. Break bread. They ate bread every single day, probably with every single meal. <laughs> Jesus is essentially saying, all the time, remember me. We kind of do this thing, you know, with the communion. We've turned it into kind of a, a sacrament is what we call it. It's a significant religious experience. But that's not the purpose. That's not the point. Excuse me, that is the purpose, is to remember Jesus. But it's not just so that you think this is all that communion is meant to be. This is, they didn't have this. They didn't have these little trays and little cups. <laughs> they had bread and they had wine and they shared it and they remembered Jesus. So I'm, I'm one of those people that thinks anytime you're gathered together with the family of God, including in your own family, feel free to talk about Jesus. <laughs> when you break bread together, thank him. It should be as natural as eating. Okay? And it's okay if you have to break gluten-free bread. Like, that's not going to offend anyone. Things have changed a little bit, but guess what? We still have to eat. We still need nourishment. And though we don't eat bread the same way, and when we buy bread, oftentimes it comes pre-sliced. <laughs> so you're like, I don't break bread. I mean, unless you call breaking into the loaf. So it's not, it's, it's an image that Jesus set up for us. And we have to kind of translate that into our culture. That he's saying, when, I, when you eat with each other, remember me. Remember that I died for you. Remember your identity. Remember your purpose. Remember the mission. Every single meal. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And it's really great that Jesus set up such a great, powerful illustration around the thing that they're going to do all the time. So can, I'd be like, man, it's like Jesus is giving us permission to eat all the time. <laughs> Couldn't he have picked chicken strips, though? <laughs> Probably more like fish sticks. Anyway. <laughs> so they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. Prayer. And we, what do you think of when you think of prayer? I think in our cultures, there's so many different images of what that looks like. And how it should look. And we try, I mean, even as we as a staff were talking about our prayer meetings, we could come up with so many different ideas on how to pray and how to do a prayer meeting. It's all complicated now because we think, oh, I have this, I've had this experience and this experience and this experience. This worked and this worked. We should keep it to this and that. And it's like, this group of people, they prayed. <laughs> you know, they had, they had a simple faith. That when they came to break bread, when they came together, they shared burdens and they prayed. They're in an experience that everything is new. And if you've ever stepped into that, I've, many of you have. You've walked into a new season. What happens in a new season? Your attention is, is focused because you have, you have tasks at hand that you've not done before. You have um, expectations that you've never felt before. And so you lean in. And the same thing happened with this group of people as they're now stepping into a completely new era of church history. They have to lean in and pray because they don't know what else to do. That should not ever change for us. And this is much more than just personal prayer. This is prayer that that. They're coming together. They're praying for each other's needs. 
And they're, they're asking God to continue to move because they've just experienced something so amazing. Their lives are completely transformed and they want that for everybody around them. And so it moved them. It moved them to pray, to be devoted to prayer. We struggle, don't we? I mean, I can only speak for myself. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to even find time in my own personal life to spend time in prayer. I'm not saying just to pray. Pray, all, pray every day. But to really spend time in prayer seeking God. It's one of the reasons that I've lo- I loved our prayer nights is even for me to take one hour plus a little bit extra out of my week and not worry about what the kids are doing and not worry about my other responsibilities and things that I feel like I have to do for God and just to come and go, Lord, what are you wanting to do in my life? What are you wanting to do in our church? What are you wanting to do in this community? And after doing that and unloading that expectation and that burden off of myself, then to come around one another and say, how can we pray for you? What do you want to see God do in your life? Where is it that you're, at, that you're feeling God is leading you? Man, I wish, I wish we did that more often, don't you? And everybody who walked out of here out of these prayer meetings is going, wow, that was really great. I'm really glad I was here. And can I tell you, <laughs> I'm confessing a lot. <laughs> Last Sunday night, I did not want to come. <laughs> I was tired. And I came in anyway, partly because it's my job. And I'm not, I have no problem admitting that. But I walked out of here going, man, I felt uplifted. I felt like I knew there were 20 people that had my back. I felt like I had gotten this burden off of me. It's not mine anyway. We need that. We need that. And I, and I know not everybody could come Sunday night. I hope that you're finding that somewhere. Even if it's just with your spouse even just with a close friend, it needs to be happening in our lives. Otherwise, we get burdened and we don't have anybody to come alongside of us and remind us, hey, that's not your burden to carry, bro. Like, you can't do that on your own. But somehow, somehow we try, don't we? Like that, say, that loved one we want to see saved, like it's on us. <laughs> and we carry it, like it's this cross that we have to carry. And he's saying, let it go and trust me. If you're seeking faithfulness in Jesus, that's as best as you can do. And pray. And pray without ceasing, the scriptures say. Devoted to prayer. See, in this context, this group of people, they, they didn't have anything else going on to do. I mean, they still had to, they, they had to still provide for their families. They still had to work. They still had to cook meals. They still had a, a lot of other things to do. But their purpose in life had shifted. Okay? Our culture today struggles with this. I think with, with, like with anything new, that newness starts to wear off. The fact that this movement has just launched, they are all in. Over time, that wears off. And I'm not saying that's a good thing just saying that's kind of the way that humanity works unless something happens (laughs) that pushes us back unless we're incredibly intentional which most of us don't like to be because that's uncomfortable and so it kind of starts to wear off we even see that in scripture as just a generation later the writer of hebrews he has to kind of poke them and tell them, hey, don't neglect meeting. He says, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So even just a generation later, the writer of Hebrews is having to tell them, hey, don't neglect the meeting together. Don't neglect that what happens at that meeting as you encourage one another and spur each other on. All the more as you see the day drawing near. And can I tell you something? I think this is one of the psychological things that happens in the church. The idea that Jesus is coming back at this point 
and, and believing he's coming back soon. And then every day that passes, it starts to feel like maybe it's not so soon. Have any of you experienced that? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later. They lived with an urgency because they believed Jesus was coming back, and he is coming back. If we can't understand that that, that that should still be motivating us, because can I tell you something? We witnessed it, our culture witnessed it this week. Nobody knows what tomorrow holds. No one knows how many days you have left. Just last Sunday, as Kobe climbed into helicopter, he, he had no reason to think that today would have been his last day on earth, and it was. So the day is drawing near. We need to be reminded of that, that we don't lose focus and get off onto other things. We hold fast, as the author of Hebrews said. In this early group, they didn't have any other choice. They were just together, and that was all they had. You know what this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean they all liked each other. Right? Can you imagine a group of 3,000 people who all have affinity in common, and they all love each other, and they all have the exact same interests and the same personalities? It's called a cult, <laughs> right? This was not a cult. <laughs> this is a group of diversity. They may not have all even spoke the same language primarily, but they have one thing in common, and it's the most important thing. So it says this, verse 44 and 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So it says they had all things in common, okay? That means everything that was important <laughs> was in common. They didn't have all things in the sense like personality. So you have to understand what it's saying there. But they had every, everything that was important, they had in common. And so they were sharing their lives and their possessions and their belongings. It says they were even selling them so that they could care for the needs of others as part of the family of God. As Taylor mentioned earlier, this new movement inspired shared sacrifice. How could it not? Jesus, who gave up everything for them, had come and called them to give up everything. That's an uncomfortable thing in our culture today, I'll tell you. Because it sounds kind of crazy. It sounds kind of extreme, really. But the, their identities had changed. It was, it's important that we recognize that. Because we may not live all together like they did, but we're called to the same kind of shared sacrifice. We're called to the same calling, that our hearts don't just think about our own lives, but that we're in touch with the needs of others. And I see this all the time. As a leader in the church, I get to see it. It's amazing to me as I witness people care for one another. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? There are people out in the world that are doing things like that apart from God, but there's something different when it comes from the family of God. But we should be leading the way in that. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, So we should be leading the way and caring for one another. It's difficult for me in this season that we've been in because I feel like as pastor, I feel like a lot of people know my story and they care about me. And I want to encourage you with the same way that you would think for me to look at the people around you and take that responsibility to care for them. We are so blessed to be a part of the family of God. But that's something that we're all called to be a part of. So I challenge you to get to know the people around you. It amazes me. Sometimes I'll ask, hey, have you met so-and-so? And they're like, no, I haven't met them. I'm like, they've been coming here as long as you have. I mean, this is a big group of people, but it's not that big. How can we love one another if we don't even know each other's names? That's, that's not all on you guys. That's on us. It's, it's part of the culture that we have. You come in, sit in pews. You see the back of people's heads. Unless you're connected on Facebook and you can see their names, you may not know who they are. <laughs> but we're called to love one another, to be a family, to know the needs of each other 
so that we can, we can, one, we can pray, and two, we may be actually able to help. It's such a blessing to be able to help. And I know that that's our heart, but it, it, it's going to require us to intentionally move. And if you're feeling like, I don't know anybody in here, it's, it's not okay to just say that's on everybody else. And you're not, you may not get, you're not going to get to know everybody today. <laughs> that's daunting. Get to know one person. Every Sunday you come in, I'm deputizing you to be a greeter. <laughs> you know who models this? Jerry LeClaire. Jerry fell again this week, and he broke his hip, so he had another surgery. He's doing okay, but if you've ever seen Jerry in here, how many of you have met Jerry? If you haven't, that's only because either you don't come early enough <laughs> or you haven't been coming here that long. Jerry's 89 years old. And not only does he get around this room still, well, <laughs> he's going to have a harder time getting around again. But he fell a year ago and smashed his face and he got back and he's, he'll come around the room and he just goes up and he just wants to know you. He wants you to know that he's not feeling so great, but you don't need to feel sorry for him. <laughs> And you can pray for him. <laughs> Just pray for Jerry and Jerry and Ann. But we sat with, we talked to Jerry in the hospital, and, and man, one, he was really glad that he didn't fall at the church again. <laughs> but just that he has hope no matter what, come in. But he demonstrates that. And we have a whole group of people that need to catch a hold of that. That when you step foot in this building, you become a part of Jerry's family. And I know that everybody's personality is not the same. I know some of us are more introverted than others, and I do not want you to feel shame for the way that you're wired. So do what you can do, okay? Ask God, and I know that some of you feel convicted about that all the time. <laughs> Reach out to one person. Get to know another person. Become a family. We have a challenge with that in our culture because we have this thing that we really value, and it's actually not that great of a thing. I mean, it is in some sense. It's called independence. <laughs> okay? We're really grateful for our freedom in this country. But independence, independence is something that has kind of lodged itself deep in the identity of American Christianity. To the point that, that we want to be part of the family of God, but we don't want any of the responsibilities that come with it. We don't want any expectations on us that we're not okay with. You know who else does that? Toddlers. <laughs> right now, Ember, she's so sweet. She, she just flat out told me this week, I don't want to listen to Daddy. Spanking time. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that because it's going to go <laughs> out there. <laughs> but she's just, she, she's so articulate. It's wonderful. But I hope she's not too smart. <laughs> anyway, she says, I don't want to listen to daddy. No, I'm not going to listen to daddy. I don't, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to be my own being. I want to do what I want to do on my time. We don't value that in a toddler. <laughs> and yet, as we grow up, it's like we've become mature enough to, to kind of run our own ship. <laughs> and hopefully as we mature, and as we mature in faith, we recognize that's not good for me. That's not the way that I'm meant to live. There's no such thing as an independent Christian. There's no such thing. Okay? Now if that strikes you wrong... Just, just think about it a little bit. How did you get saved? Was it your work? No. How do, you, how do you grow? How do you live? Is it by your power? If it is, then you're not really a Christian. <laughs> we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Holy Spirit. If we live our lives as independent Christians, 
we are not telling the same story. If we live our lives selectively choosing the teachings of Jesus that we like, or that make us feel better, we are not truly following Jesus. We're like a toddler who will listen to mom and dad when he says, hey, we're going to have popcorn tonight. But not when it's go clean your room. Or no, you can't do that. Wouldn't it be nice if that's all the Holy Spirit did was just confirm us in what we want to do? <laughs> but read the Bible. That's not what happens. He's confronting this broken, sinful nature. And he's bringing other people in. And this is part of the challenge that we have is because as Christians, we, we carry this thing of, it's called shame. It keeps us from wanting to be exposed. Shame is essentially the fear of being exposed. And so God's saying, hey, walk with other people. And we're like, I'll walk okay with them for a little while, but I don't want them to know the struggles, the deep struggles that I have. I don't want them to know how broken I am. Because what if they judge me? And, and Jesus has called us to live a life that when we step into the arena of faith, we're saying, God, I'm not only trusting you, but I'm going to trust these people <laughs> I'm going to trust them with me. And can I tell you what? I wish that it was always a pleasant experience. I wish that when you trusted others that they never betrayed you. I wish that when you trusted others you would never feel judged. That's not the way that it works, unfortunately, because not everybody is living fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And we need that. We need that power because that's what can unite us. that can break shame and allow us to walk in community with one another the way that we're supposed to, dependent on others. Then it goes on in Acts 2, 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day. That's another huge key for the life of faith that we struggle with, isn't it? How many of you are thinking about the future? <laughs> it's planning is not a bad thing. I'm not saying planning is a bad thing. That would be really foolish of me to say that. But when it comes to the life of faith and when we have questions that we can't answer and when there are things that are bigger than we can control, we have to walk day by day. We have to trust Jesus. He said that. I'm not making that up. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry for itself. And that's not Jesus saying, don't make any plans. He's simply saying, do not put your hope in your plans. And you got to learn to trust God when there are things outside of your control. And some of us don't like that. So we try to control. And it's painful. It's stressful. To walk day by day. They attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. This early group, this early group of Christians, for one, that it was a miracle that it even started. And people would have heard the story. And they're loving people. They're, they're demonstrating the love of God in such a tangible way that it, it creates favor with everyone. They don't have enemies at this point. As people are, are looking at them going, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. They're giving their possessions to care for others, to demonstrate the love and, and community of God. So it creates this favor with all the people. And have we seen that? I think we see that as we get outside of our own little kingdom and we serve the kingdom of God and love others, as a general rule, it creates favor. That's how our downtown businesses decide, hey, at Christmas time, we're gonna collect donations for something, and they say, let's, let's work alongside the Hub City Mission. It's because we, we create favor when we serve and love others. When it's not about our little thing, but it's about loving people, it creates favor among the people. And through that, people are watching, and over time, day by day, added to their midst added to their midst. They're being saved. 
And we see that too. As people come and they kind of check it out and they kind of observe. When do they cross that line of faith into the salvation? I don't know. But it's part of the mission that we're on. That's God's work to do. That the Lord added to their number. Did you catch that? Not the apostles added to their number. When Peter preached that sermon, Peter didn't save them. Jesus did. The work of salvation is done by God. It's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' body. We get to be a part of that. We get to be an expression of that. Or we can hinder it. So let's be a part of it. See, for this group of people, everything, in their, everything that was important changed for them. Now, their being together and growing and learning about Jesus was their number one priority. And I think, well, they didn't have to deal with football season, though. <laughs> There's a really funny video that came out several years ago. Sorry, I'm going off. <laughs> They're called the Jesus videos. <laughs> And it was put on by this church, and they're, they're, it's a spoof, which means it's satire, it's, it's, it's a joke, it's not serious. And they're saying things, they basically say things that Jesus didn't say. Anyway, it's very funny, and I think we need to bring it back, make it go viral again. <laughs> One guy comes in, he goes, I had tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus! <laughs> anyway, today that just struck me. <laughs> Everything had changed for them. It says that they were in awe. See, we sing songs about being in awe, but are we really in awe? <laughs> Does anybody ever, like, you ever think when you're singing in worship, um, that sounds good, but I don't feel that right now. Anybody else? <laughs> Part of the reason that we sing is not because that's how we feel. <laughs> it's a declaration it's not wishful thinking. It's a reminder. Because at some point, if you're a Christian, you felt awe. You felt wonder. You felt the marvelous grace of Jesus. That's how you got saved. That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit in you, that, that reminder. So when we come and sing, we're kind of we're telling our hearts, remember that? <laughs> remember that? That's the way we're meant to live. That's the way that we can get back into this identity. It doesn't mean that we have to hype up emotional feelings. That's not the point. Because some of the most dedicated servants of God, they're not the ones that are crying at the altar. They have a deep sense of their identity and their purpose and the mission. I get to see that. I get to see it in this group of people. I get to see it in the church. And none of us are perfect. And our church is not perfect. But I see it. I see you serving selflessly, giving generously, growing personally, making room for community, all the while trusting Jesus wholly. That's the calling that we've received. We don't live the life that the early church lived, but we live with the same purpose. We live with the same heart. It should be tangible and demonstrate. We should be able to demonstrate it. When people look at our lives, they should still be able to see it. If people followed you around for a day, they should see a devotion to Jesus. I'm not talking about getting your Bible out and reading it. You know who knows the Bible really well? Satan. <laughs> I'm not saying don't know your Bible. <laughs> I'm just saying that's not the key to devotion. <laughs> That's an element of it. It's a heart thing. So when we talk about doing devotions, it's not just an action you can do. Are we living selflessly, giving generously, growing personally, making room for community, and trusting Jesus wholly? Would that be things that would describe your life? And if not, what are you devoted to? What are the things that have crept in there? <laughs> You're here today. You haven't neglected the gathering today. 
And you get to hear this awesome encouragement to not be a toddler. <laughs> I'm not perfect at this. I lived, before, I lived my life in faith before I was a pastor. <laughs> I struggled on a daily basis with my own heart and my own will and my own desires. So I'm not coming here saying, I've got it figured out. <laughs> I'm coming here saying, I want that in my life. <laughs> when I read the book of Acts, I don't feel good. <laughs> I feel convicted and challenged. And I also feel encouraged that this power that God launched this movement with is still available to us. <laughs> and that's the only thing that can change our lives and move us in that direction. Amen? And so today you're here. Today you get that challenge. And I pray that you think about it and dwell on that and, and ask God, what am I devoted to? Where do I need to grow? Because we're going to come here and we're not going to break bread, but we've got little crackers and a little cup of juice. As a reminder week after week, of what Jesus has done for us and our identity in him. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And they're going to play as we come forward and receive communion. You can't do all the things in this sermon today in one day. But you can decide in your heart, I want that. <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to produce that work in you. Okay, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, that you've called us. And, and I know in this room you've called us out of all kinds of different backgrounds, but you've called us to have, as the word says, all things in common. That means the most important things in our life are in common because of what you've done for us and who you called us to be. So I pray that in this group you would build that identity that purpose and that mission into our hearts that where we try to live independently where we, when we don't want to listen, when we don't want to hear what you have to say I pray that your Holy Spirit and the conviction that comes with it would urge us to listen that you don't bring shame but you do convict <laughs> and that in this group amongst your people are people who are constantly feeling convicted and returning to you. And so I pray for that repentance, that it wouldn't be something that would hold us back or cause us to feel ashamed, but that we would lean in and trust and bring others into that mess so that we can be encouraged day by day to stir one another up to love and good works. And I thank you for this family and what you're doing in our lives. Pray that this morning as we come and we receive communion, as we break bread, that your sacrifice for us would inspire sacrificial living. So we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.